the task before me this morning is one that I have struggled with all week long. I don't know if you've ever seen a beautiful sunrise, a beautiful sunset. I've seen something beautiful in nature and uh, try to describe that to someone else. And uh, that's kind of what this passage that we're looking at today feels a lot like in my mind. Um, and uh, so I'm, I've asked God all week long just to, uh, to show you what he, he wants you to see. And I'm going to try to do the best that I can and hope that... Uh, he gets me out of the way and that you learn and grow and appreciate this passage of scripture because I think it's, it's one that's rich in so many different ways and, and can speak to us in so many different things in our life. And so I'm excited for it today. I want to begin with this, though. There was a young lady, if you were, um, I'm not a big hockey fan, but when the Blues were going through their whole playoff run back in uh, whatever that was, May, June, whenever the Blues were in the playoffs and the Stanley Cup finals, and they finally won the Stanley Cup, there was a young lady who made that journey with them. One of their players had met this young lady by the name of Layla Anderson at a local hospital. Uh, Layla struggles with a, a disease called HLH, which is a, a, syst- a systemic inflammatory syndrome, which creates all kinds of, of struggles and problems in her life. And, and she became um, a, a celebrity, I don't mean that in a polite way, uh, through this as well. She was always, every time there was a camera of something good going on the ice, they would show her excited as well. And so uh, she went through that entire journey with them, uh, got to be on the ice when they got the Stanley Cup trophy. And, and uh, it was a cool thing for this young lady who's battling so many things to be, have something very positive in her life. Well, a few weeks ago, back on October 1st, I believe it was, uh, uh, the, uh, the Blues were getting their, their rings for winning the Stanley Cup. And so they, uh, they did something very cool with Layla that I want to show you a little bit of because I think it introduces a little bit of where we've been in Ephesians and what we're looking at here today. And, uh, and so if you want to play that video, if you would, please. You've been to so many people. So me and Colton are here uh, representing our uh, organization and everybody there. And we have something that we would like you to open right now. It's a magnet kind of, so you have to pull a little hard. Pretty cool, huh? I feel like I shouldn't be touching this one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. How does it come out of there? Babe. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Oh my fit. gosh, beautifully. <laughs> it's her whole hand. <laughs> you have to do like the boys do, make it that like a knuckle. That poor guy who's going to propose to you one day. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Until then, this will be there. Grace uh, towards her was what I have been thinking about since seeing that a few weeks ago. She was given something of exceeding value. She could never have earned that on her own. She was included in something that was awesome through the work of others, and she was blessed by the kindness of grace. And I think as we have walked through the book of Ephesians thus far, I can't help but think that's the story of you and me as well. That in so many ways, we are given something of even greater value. If you're a blues fan, I know that's important to you, but there's something better than that, believe it or not, and it's the gift that Christ gives us through his son. Um, and the life that we get to enjoy and live in him. The fact that we could never have earned all that God is doing and has done in our life through Christ, that we were included into this eternal gift through the work of another and what Christ has done for us, and that we also are blessed by the kindness of grace. And I, uh, I just can't help but think that uh, Layla probably feels very special, and she should, because of her gift that she was given but I can't imagine thinking, and as I read through Ephesians, I think, boy, those are awesome gifts. That as you read through chapter one and you look at all the things that God does to us and for us through Christ, how we are loved, we are adopted, we are welcomed in, we are marked, we are so many things. We are given hope, we are given power, we are given an inheritance, we are made alive in Christ, we are his masterpieces, we are now one in him. Um, and even as we looked at last week in the beginning of chapter three, that, that we are overcomers when adversity comes, that, that just because terrible things fall into Paul's life or in our life, doesn't mean we have to give up and be discouraged because we have the freedom of knowing that God is over all, that he rules over everything that comes our way and, and there's this hope that we have in him. And I read that and I think, wow, what gifts that is to us. And, and then as you come to chapter four, Paul is going to say, now, um, now go live that out. Go live out in the world that you and I live in. I want you to live those truths out. And he begins to make lists of, of things, of, of unity, or he talks about uh, character issues, he talks about marriages, he talks about families, he talks about our workplaces, he talks about dealing with the evil that's oftentimes around us. So many different things as he walks through this passage, these passages that are to come. And I think, okay, this is a beautiful promises over here. I'm thankful for what Christ did. I look at all the things that he asked, and I think, man, there's a gap. I don't know if I can do those things in a way that honors the gift, right? There's a way that I could live it out shallowly or imperfectly quite well. I'm doing that regularly. But there's this calling on our life because of all the stuff that God has done for us in Christ. And so I am thankful for the passage we're going to look at today because I think it's a bridge that takes you to say, okay, this is all that God has done for you and for me through Christ. And here's what he wants you to be day in and day out. So how do you do that? And that's where Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21 comes in. I think it's quite possible for us. Somebody has said you can outline the book of Ephesians by the postures that you see there. In chapter 1, you find, I don't have a chair up here, but uh, you find the posture of sitting that, where Paul says that we are now through Christ. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. And so we sit in a very special place. 
in the cosmos, in God's working, that we, we have a special seat. Uh, and so those privileges and blessings that come with that, we have the greatest of spiritual riches to, to enjoy. And then in chapter 4, he transitions from no longer are we sitting, but now we are walking in a worthy manner. And so chapter 4, chapter 5, beginning of chapter 6, he encourages us to walk in the posture of, of living out those truths that we enjoy. And at the end of chapter 6, he uses the posture of standing, of standing firm in a place where, hey, you know what? Satan's going to come. He's going to attack. So you stand firm upon truth and, and in all the things, all the, uh, the armor, of, armor of God that we'll get to here in a few weeks. But... There's one more thing that kind of bridges those things. And it's the posture, I think, that makes where we sit connect and be consistent with how we live. And it's the posture that Paul introduces this passage with when he says this posture. It's for this reason I kneel before the Father. I kneel here because I recognize the greatness of the promises and the almost impossibility of living out the calling needs something. It needs help. I can't do this alone. Just like little Layla couldn't have won that ring by herself. She needed the work of others. We need the work of others. We need the work of God uh, in our life. And so Paul begins this passage by saying, in light of everything I've said, I bend my knees. I kneel before the Father. And so today, I just want us to unpack that posture and what that looks like and, and how that is a help to us. Because as each week we've gone through this series, we've looked at, the, at, a, at a nook or cranny where God wants to fill and, and work in our life. And, and I think the one that I've chosen today is simply the, a word that is reflected in this passage several times. And it's the word strong. That God wants us to be strong, not in ourselves, but he wants us to be strong in him. And the nook and cranny that oftentimes happens in our life is that I know the truth I know a lot of things that I, I should be, I should be doing. I, I should be this by now, especially in my walk with God. But, but there's this struggle with the flesh that just keeps me from, from being that. There's this gap. And I think the nook and cranny that Paul steps into with this passage is he gives us strength in that gap. To begin to bridge, hey, this is who you're supposed to be with this is who you really are. And so those two things, the power to live that out, is what Paul is going to ask God for them, and he's going to ask that for us as well. And so let's read through this passage, this beautiful passage of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. If you've got your Bible, open up there. If you've got your phone app, please do that. And if not, it's on the screen as well. So let's read it together. Paul says, For this reason, I kneel before the Father. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And so what's Paul ultimately hoping happens here? We've used the phrase nook and cranny, that little phrase, that out of all the things he's doing, he wants to fill every part of you, right? The part of you that doesn't feel loved, he wants to fill with worth. The part of you that doesn't feel like a masterpiece, he wants to fill that with his work and his power. All of this, so that your life will be just a, a, an overflowing of God through you to the world around you. 
the measure of all the fullness of God. And then he finishes with a beautiful doxology. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So why does Paul pray? I think there are several reasons that he prays, and, and all of them under the context of this is how we become strong in the Lord. And the first one is this. I think we become strong when we kneel before the Father. You see, in, in physical things, like if I wanted to be, change my physical body to be strong, I would get up and I would go to the gym and I would start lifting things, right? And I would do things. And I would go to Brian Wallace's house like yesterday and move heavy logs with manly grunts, okay? I would do those kind of things and I would become stronger. But spiritually, there are things that we do but the lifting looks a lot more like surrendering. The lifting looks a lot more like begging. It looks a lot more like, God, I can't lift these heavy things. And so I need you to step in and to do this in my life. And so Paul comes and says, we become stronger when we kneel before the Father. Again, I love verses 14 and following when he says that, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches. And so before he asks, he paints this picture that, hey, this, the process of kneeling, the process of praying, the process of asking is of utmost importance. And so I would ask, as you read this passage, I think it's significant that Paul is in that posture and talking about kneeling. Because in that day, most of us have grown up in, in church cultures, or at least aware of church cultures, where kneeling is a very common spiritual habit. But it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't unknown, but it wasn't necessarily the preferred posture of that day. Like for us, most of us, we would bow our heads, we would pray, and that's a typical posture for us. In Jesus' day, it was oftentimes much more one of standing and raising your hands. That was a much more common prayer posture for them. And even if you go to places like the Wailing Well in Jerusalem and stuff, you will still see those kinds of postures being practiced in prayer. And those are fine. Those are good, good postures. But there's something about kneeling especially in Paul, in, in his situation, that is significant. I think it communicates a couple of attributes that Paul is, is demonstrating to the Ephesians. Is that I'm not just casually praying for you. When I kneel, there is a level of intensity that I'm bringing to my prayers, that I am, I'm asking God with intensity, I, I need you to do this, God. I beg you to do this. There's an intensity, God, that you would do this through my prayers, that you would bring this help, that you would bring this power into our life for us to be what you've called us to be. There's an intensity, but there's also the, prayer, the posture of kneeling brings with it the, uh, a perspective of humility, right? That, that when I have failed, there's, I can fall on my knees to beg for mercy. I'm putting myself at your will if I wanted to do that. And so there's intensity, there's humility that Paul is demonstrating, I think, as he, as he prays this for his brothers and sisters in Ephesus, that he's praying that they would experience this strength in their inner person, as we'll get to in a moment. But he begins by just reminding them, I'm not just asking this casually or lightly. I'm begging God. I, I'm asking God with all the humility that's in me, with all the intensity that's in me, that he would bring this so that you would be able to live out this beautiful calling that God has put over your life. And so I would just ask you, as I have asked myself this week, um, how often do you come to God with intensity and with humility? I would bet that some of you on Thursday nights, say about eight o'clock when Patrick Mahomes was laying there with an injured knee on the field, I bet you 
not to be shallow here, but I bet a few of you came to the Lord with some intensity and some humility saying, God, please don't let my quarterback be hurt. Now, my, that's fine. You can pray for Patrick Mahomes all you want. That's okay. Um, but I wonder when's the last time the Lord heard that intensity and that humility from you? Is that a regular thing that you do? Or is it only when things seem to be in a crisis that we come to God? You see, Paul on a regular basis recognized the fact that I can't be all that God calls me to be without a great help from the Lord without him coming. And so I think Paul made this a regular habit of intensity and humility, recognizing that, oh man, I, I, can't, I can't do all this. There's no way I could be all that God calls me to be without his help in my life. And I would, I would couple that with, Paul didn't learn that by himself. I think Jesus models that in, in, um, in Gethsemane, right? The night before he dies, um, if he's arrested, excuse me, the night before, he, when he's arrested, the night before, day before he dies, um, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. And the Bible says that as he went there, there was great intensity about his emotions because he, he knew what was coming. And it talks about how he, he falls before the Lord. There's, there's kneeling, there's bowing, there's even prostrating himself before God out of intensity to say, God, this, this is intense. I know what's coming. There's an incredible train coming at me, and, and if there's another way, make it so. There's intensity. It talks about how even blood drops of blood, or sweat drops of blood, excuse me, because of the intensity of that moment, but there's also humility. Father, I know this is hard, and if there's another way, that's fine, but not my will, but your will be done. There's humility. There's intensity, and so oftentimes, how do I grow stronger in my walk with the Lord? Sometimes I don't have, I don't have that strength because I'm not asking with intensity. I'm not asking with humility. I'm not seeking God to say, help me do this. Help me to be this. I'm just trying to do it in my own strength. And that always leaves me short of what I should be. And so God comes and I think Paul just models for us the, the idea that strength is oftentimes found most, um, um, most powerfully at work in the lives of people who regularly bend their knees before the Father with intensity and with humility. And so that moves us to the second thing I want you to see here, that I think Paul also models the idea that we allow Christ to dwell within us, that people become stronger, Christ's followers become stronger when we allow Christ to dwell within us, when we make room for him, not to just kind of pop in and pop out, just be present around us, but to really dwell within us. And that's his prayer in verses 16 and 17, that I pray that of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that picture of dwelling there that he uses, that word dwell is, is an important picture um, that it's important for us to kind of pause on. It's the language of home. Um, and I don't know how you act when you go to someone else's house. When you visit someone's house, you, you probably tend to be respectful of their things. You don't walk into someone's house for the first time, rearrange the furniture, say, that's a terrible looking rug, roll it up and throw it out. You don't make major changes when you're visiting someone's home. Um, if you do, you may not ever come back to that home again. But, uh, that, but there's a difference between visiting Going to a hotel room, you don't walk in and think, boy, this is a hideous room. I think I'll paint the, paint the walls tonight while I'm here overnight. That's not the way we think with, with that. But when you're thinking home, you automatically think, well, that rug is hideous. I should get rid of that and get a new rug. And you should do that because it's your home. It's where you live. And when Paul uses the words well, that's exactly what he's describing of what Christ um, wants to be doing in our life. He doesn't want... 
occasional visits. He wants you to allow him to work in your inner being, that place within you that where, where you think and where you feel and where you process and where you decide and where you're, you're just all the core of you, where you connect with God, where you can refuse to connect with God and connect with the devil if you want to. That part inside you, you decide who you are at the core of your being, that inner being. And so Jesus wants to live there. He wants to dwell there. And it's the picture of, um, of just having the freedom to be there, to rearrange, to change, uh, to address things. Um, we've been doing some remodeling at our house. It began in the spring with just changing an appliance, and we still haven't done it, got done yet, because we've, it's just, it's never ending. It's the never ending remodeling project. And so um, I get that. As I read this word this week, I thought, lived that for the last six months. And so it's, it's pretty, it's nice when it's done, but as, a, as the owner of the home, you have the freedom to do that. And that's what Jesus is wanting in this, because when he can begin to change you, when he can begin to rearrange the priorities of your life, when he can begin to rearrange the way you see things and think about things, there's just a, a power that begins to grow in you, a strength that begins to grow inside of us as we allow him to do his work. Um, and I'll illustrate this as well with this way. Um, I love to collect things. I have some... I'm not a terrible hoarder, but I have some hoarding tendencies, especially when it comes to, to T-shirts and, and things that have sentimental value to me. I still have a box from high school of old letters and things that I have never looked at them, but I keep them and I get upset if someone threatens to throw them out. And so I have like six drawers in our nine-drawer um, um, place where the clothes stay, um, whatever that thing's called, cabinet. What is it? Dresser, that's the word. There you go. The dresser. There's like six of the nine drawers are full of my t-shirts from giving blood in 1994. And so I just, I'm spiritually attached to that because I really shed blood for that shirt. And so why would I want to get rid of that shirt? And so, um, but my wife is not that way. She, uh, she is the anti Chris, when it comes to that, that uh, every once in a while I will start looking for shirts or things and they're not there. And uh, I will not so politely ask did you throw it away or did you donate it to a consignment store? And um, if she, on a good day, she say, at least I got 10 cents out of it, okay? And so there's that tendency to, and she has the freedom to do that, and it's a good thing, right? Because I don't need those shirts. I don't, like, I need to get rid of some stuff from time to time, as hard as that is for me to say that. And so it's, uh, it's but she has the freedom in my life to do that. Now, I don't have that freedom yet in her life. Maybe after 35 years of marriage, I will gain that privilege. But uh, she, I'm kidding, um, I did throw out some trash the other day. It was okay. And so, but there's that tendency, right, that when you're living, when you're dwelling, there can be changes made. And that's the picture. And I love the picture. Um, I was mowing the other day. I didn't even get the person's name, but I just got this. I stopped the mower and I wrote this down because uh, they were talking about, well, what does it look like when Jesus begins to dwell in a heart? And I love this. So it's when Jesus is able to dwell in our hearts through faith, things like this begin to happen in the world. That poverty begins to decrease when people are overwhelmed with a generous heart like Jesus has. That marriages and families begin to grow stronger as people begin to forgive and serve one another like Jesus. Adoptions and the care of children begins to become a priority because people learn about the family of Jesus. That sin begins to be cast off as people learn how much God paid for them, the blood of Jesus. The worship becomes fervent as people learn the value of Jesus. That prayer begins to align with God's purposes as people learn the priorities of Jesus. 
that justice begins to flow as people learn to begin to have the, the mind or the just heart of Jesus. Disciples begin to grow as people begin to have the mind of Jesus. That those enslaved to sin begin to be loved as people learn of the compassion of Jesus. And churches begin to be planted and they multiply as people learn of the mission of Jesus. And on and on it could go, but wherever Jesus is allowed to dwell strongly in us, things begin to change as he takes over and less of us is there. And so when Jesus becomes famous, when the core motivations of our hearts become his and are deeper in him, things begin to grow and we are stronger in him. And we, we bridge that gap between this is what I'm called to be, this is the reality, and those two things come together as Jesus is allowed to dwell um, in our life. And so Paul prays that. And so I just pray that that would be true in my life and in yours as well. And so I had to ask the question, though, because I, I can look back on times when I have resisted that. And usually when I'm resisting allowing Christ to dwell in my heart, it usually comes down to one of two things. And they're probably very intertwined together if you want to go deep in that. But one is pride. I don't want him to be ruling my life. I don't want him to make changes. I don't want him to do that because I want it to be me. Right? I, know I want to be doing what I want to do. And so there's a pride issue on one side. But the other side of that is fear. I'm afraid to let him dwell in me because I'm afraid of either what he's going to find when he gets there, and that's hard to look eye to eye with Jesus when you know there's something there, there's sin there, there's disobedience there, and you're thinking, man, I don't want to have that face to face with Jesus when this becomes the topic, or maybe it's just the fear of what he will change. God, I'm afraid of what you will do with me if I really surrender to you. And so there's pride or there's fear, but, but the beautiful part, at least of the fear part, is I love how um, Paul doesn't just leave it that. The very next thing he says speaks directly into that whole idea of, should I ever be afraid to let Jesus dwell in my heart? And his answer is no. Look at what number three is. We become stronger when we understand Christ's love for us more and more. And I love what he says here, that we become stronger uh, when we understand Christ's love for us more and more. In Ephesians 3, 18 and 19, just begin to look how many times he emphasizes the loving nature, the loving characteristics of, of Christ and our Father both. I pray that you being rooted and established in love. What are we doing there? He's talking about agriculture as a plant, as your roots go down into the love of God and as established as, as a building with a foundation that's built upon the love of Christ. That's where your life stands. It's where your life is rooted that you being rooted and established in love may have power. You may become stronger together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. There's a lot in that. Um, I just love the, the reminder that if I'm, I don't need to be afraid to let Jesus dwell because the one who dwells there loves me more, loves me deeper, loves me wider, loves me higher, loves me longer than anyone else I will ever meet. And while it may be insecure, there may be some hard moments, being open to allowing him to dwell deeper in our life is, is a beautiful thing because he loves you. And so I, I, we could say much, but that passage speaks pretty clearly. If, if your reason for, for pushing back on on Christ being given more reign and rule and territory in your heart and in your inner being and in your, in your thinking and your decision making 
um, I just would just remind you, memorize that passage, just remind yourself how much he loves you. Remind yourself how much he wants to do things out of that love in your life. I, there's lots of songs that we sing that remind us of the love of God, right? Our Christian songs, our, our church songs do a great job of highlighting that. But one of my favorites is just simply the, the old song, The Love of God. The second verse goes like this. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill? And every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor would the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. I love that little word in their grasp. It, it implies that I'm trying to grab a hold of, of things that are bigger and exploring and, and exploring and understanding some beautiful thing about God. And so he invites us on a lifelong journey to explore, to grasp, to, to think, man, how far, how big is the love of God? And, and, and someone has taken the, the, the liberty, I guess, to say that, you know, what? even in the book of Ephesians, we get reminders of how wide God's love is, right? It used to be it was just the Jews kind of experienced that, and that's how wide God's love seemed to be. But now in Christ, it's wide. There's not a tribe, a tongue, a nation on earth who doesn't qualify to come to the Lord through Christ. And how long? We've talked about how since before creation, before anything even happened in this universe, the love of God was there. And long into eternity, after it's all done, the love of God will be there. And we've seen how high that God can take both the Jew and Gentile, any one of us, he can take us and he can seat us high in the heavenly places next to Christ. And how deep. You can go to the deepest part of who you are, the deepest, most broken place in your life. His love can go there and he can redeem that because he loves you. Because the love of Christ is deep and it is wide and it is long and it is high. And so where do we become strong to, to live out the calling upon us? We, we do it when we, we regularly bend our knees with intensity and with humility before God. And we do it as we, as we seek to say, I want Christ to dwell more and more in, in me, more and more of my life. And we do it as we, as we explore more and more of God's love for us and how good that is to us. And finally, the last thing we'll, we'll say quickly is this, is that we, we become stronger when we seek to glorify God above all. When that becomes the thing that I live for, all of a sudden there's a strength that enters my life that simply says, you know what, everything about me, I want it to glorify him. And there's a resolve, there's a strength that comes with that. I think it's Mark Driscoll who said this, I wrote it down many years ago, that I really like next to this passage. Um, Oftentimes we all face decisions every day and we have a list of, of questions that we ask ourselves when we, ask, when we face decisions, right? You got 10 bucks in your wallet, you think, well, what am I going to do with this? Well, maybe, am I hungry? What do I want to do with it? What's, what fun can I do with it? Um, all kinds of things, right? You, you've got time, you think, well, what am I going to do with it? Um, and so I love this, this statement he said, if you ask the question, what will glorify God you will end up with a very different answer to most of the questions that you ask in your life. And just think about that again. If you ask the question, what's going to glorify God every time you have a decision to make or have a, a crossroad you're at, what's going to glorify God? You may end up with a very different answer to most of the questions that you ask in your life, but it's always going to be the right answer. It's always going to be the right answer. 
Never going to have to look back and think, well, boy, I chose to try to glorify God in, in my marriage or my family or in my home or in my workplace or in my school or just in my character, in my life, through my speech, how I handle my money. And that was my driving pursuit. Boy, I sure regret that. That, made, that made, led me to make a lot of bad decisions in my life. No. Anytime you're asking the question, well, what's going to glorify God in this moment? You're going to end up in some pretty good places. Not easy places. Maybe different than the world around you, but it's going to be a beautiful place. And it's a place where you're going to find a strength within you because God's going to bless that. God's going to follow that. God's going to walk with that. And so when Paul prays this um, in verses 20 and 21, this beautiful doxology that ends his prayer, it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, there's that strength again, that is at work within us, to him be glory. Where is that glory going to be shown? In the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And again, remember that this is written by a guy who's not sitting in a comfortable place, but he is indeed sitting in prison. He's sitting in difficult circumstances. Hard things have come his way. But everything he faces, I want to glorify God through it. I want God to be glorified through every good thing that happens Every difficult situation, every hard situation, I want God to be glorified through it. And Paul lived with a strength that was just unmatched. No one could stop him because I think he was a man who continually asked God, oh, God, give me that strength with intensity, with humility. And he said, Christ, may, Christ, may I die and Christ have all of me. May it just be all him and, and, and no more me. And he just constantly reminded himself the love of God. The world may hate me, the world may be difficult, but there's this love that I live in that just feeds me and it's, it's the foundation of everything I do and I have nothing to fear and everything I want to do is glorify God. And there's just a strength that was in the center of Paul's life. So my prayer for you and for me today is that we would find that. And maybe you've been walking with the Lord for a long time and when you walk with someone for a long time, it can be tempting for your heart to begin to get a little cold or calloused or just familiar with that. And so I will just close with this. I just Years later, after Paul is long gone, the first generation that Paul was writing the book of Ephesians 2 is, is dead and, and with the Lord. Um, John would write this in the book of Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, to the church in Ephesus, to the same church. He would say this, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. In other words, your love had grown cold. They were still doing a lot of things, but that inner person had been allowed to grow cold and stale and, and they just weren't, they didn't have the intensity. They didn't have the humility. They didn't have that, that want to say, hey, Christ, just rule and, and take over and let us live in your love and we will glorify you in everything we do. There was just a little more of a shallowness to us, a coldness to it. They had forsaken, forgotten their first love and so he tells them, repent and do the things that you did at first. And so that's my invitation for us today. Uh, maybe this falls on fresh ears. Maybe this falls on ears that have known Christ for a long time. But it's just my desire that we would not just get so familiar with, yeah, Jesus, 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 I know those things. And those are just things I know up here. And I know what he's called me to be. And I'm trying to be good down here. But I'm really not growing in that. I want to bridge that gap. And Paul's passage here, I think, does that. It combines, it brings all that God calls us to into a very practical, 
inner person, inner person going outward, this power that's flowing with, from within you to without, of, without you, from, to without you, um, outside of you, so I'm trying to say, um, this power that connects these two things together. And so that's my prayer for you and for me today, that we would follow that example. This prayer of Paul would not be something that we just read and move on to, but it would be a daily thing that we just bring ourselves to because it holds the key to so much of what we want to be for God. So I'm gonna ask for you to bow your heads as we, uh, as we bend our knees and we pray to the Lord as we finish today.